0: City, John Grace Rob Ross with you, episode 215, as we head into the dog days of summer. And we're right in the middle of them now. We've passed the 4th of July, which means my dogs are almost back to normal heart rates again. And uh, and, we just look forward to the rest of the summer going by uh, in a fairly breezy fashion. How's
1: everything in New York, Rob Ross? Well, New York sucks. I mean, that's not going to change (laughs) anytime soon. I'm sorry to say that is just... It is god-awful here. Uh, Yesterday, I saw a video clip that wasn't covered by the media, but a video clip of a guy on a scooter in Queens who shot three people killing an 87-year-old man in the process. Lovely. No context, no motive. You just see this guy driving by and just shooting into the streets. So, enough said there. Um, However, you know, because it's been quite a while since we've gotten together to do one of these shows, and, you know, the last few have been sort of rife with, um, frustrations and the ups and downs of the last few months. But I'd like to start this one on a much brighter and higher note, much more positive things because, um, as of late, some good things have been happening and I want to share them with you and with the, uh, the, our listeners. Excellent. And, um, it starts with the fact that after a year of basically being in an emotional state of hell because of my health, um, I had gone to the doctor in April, because I just wasn't feeling great in the aftermath of that last nightmare job that I had. And oddly enough, I wasn't feeling stressed out about being unemployed. I was not feeling well. Yeah. And I really attributed it to the the unhealthy atmosphere I'd been working in. You can say what you will, but not having that job anymore, I think, saved me from without a doubt having a heart attack. And that's that's an understatement. It got that bad. Nevertheless, I went to see him in, in April, and the first thing he said to me was, "Your blood pressure is good, actually, so that's a big plus." He goes, "But I, what, what I want you to do is this: I want you to go, I want you to try and lose some weight, and I'll see you in a month, okay?" I go, and and you know, every time I see him, I take a blood test a week before to to see what's up, and um, I went back in May for the follow up, and he said to me, "Okay, you're you're." Uh, cholesterol level is dangerously high, unhealthy. This is a problem. Your glucose levels are now borderline diabetic. And there were a couple of other things that, you know, we were concerned about. He said, here's what you need to do. I want you to find the time and I want you to go out and exercise. I want you to change your diet. I want you to cut out as much bread and carbs. And, you know, I know it's painful things you love. Cheeses, red meats, anything that, and you know, he gave me. He didn't give me. He didn't read me the Riot Act. He just said, you know, if you do this exercise, and I'm going to give you a very minor prescription, a mild prescription for Crestor for for your cholesterol. Like with, satin, I guarantee yeah. you, if you take off any weight between the medication, the exercise, and changing your diet. You're going to not only lose weight; it's going to bring those levels down, and that's what we want to do. So I went back for a blood test the week before I saw him. I saw him three weeks ago, Friday. I go back, and now he always looks like death warmed over; like he's just got the. <laughs> no, he just he looks like you know he's he looks like he's somewhere between fifty and two hundred years old. Right. You know, <laughs> this hunched over old Jewish guy, and and you know as as I want my doctors to be anyhow. A Jewish doctor? Well, wow, that's weird. I know, right? Shock can I just <laughs> tell you um and he has this the, the dour look and so I'm thinking, oh my God, you know has it gotten worse and he says to me, I want to show you the results of your last blood test and he goes your cholesterol went down over 100 points you're not only wow. out of the danger zone but you're also now in a healthy cholesterol zone your glucose went down over a hundred points
0: it's amazing.
1: The only thing is, and this is my frustration my frustration is that the numeric weight I only lost four pounds, you know, it, it just keeps fluctuating. But in that time, I was going to the gym, I did cut out bread, you know, I had I think maybe one or two cheat days where I had um, I had pasta, you know, yeah, um, but. I was going to the gym, you know, almost every day, um, taking the medication. I cut out the, you know, the, the carbs, no cheese, no red meats, you know, none of that stuff. So he said, just be patient. Don't let it frustrate you too much. As far as the, the, the numeric weight. just keep doing what you're doing. I guarantee you it will come off. It's just that now that you're older, it takes more time. No doubt. Okay. I got that. So. That was the really good news there. And I'm still doing that. you know, I he also told me he wanted me to come off the medication, too. What I'm going to do is I've just got the last refill of it, So I'm going to finish that to make sure that it continues to stay down while I'm going through the process. And I've also started doing these, you know, intermittent liquid diet slash sort of fasting, basically, You know, having a smoothie instead of a meal because it'll take away the um, the 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 hunger. And I've been drinking a lot more water, which takes away hunger, you know. So all of that being said, I then had my recent um, urologist follow up visit because the last time I saw him was at the beginning of April and my PSA level was 23, which is not good, which is, you know, the, the, the there's the the breakdown number and then there's the total number and mine's a four plus anything over four is not good. It's bad enough that I already have an enlarged prostate. Yeah. I go for the blood test last Saturday morning because I go to Quest Laboratories and you can actually set up a portal and, you know, schedule The blood test instead of waiting Which is terrific because it it goes like clockwork I went in 10 after 7 It was appointment for 7.20 but it went in like 10 after 7 By 6 a.m. the next morning Sunday morning They had sent me the results And he told me himself But I just could not believe the results when I saw them The total went from 23 Whatever it was To 17 Wow From four plus to (laughs) 2.8 after a year of this elevated um, PSA level. So when I saw him on Friday and he was telling me what the the results were, he's like, what have you been doing? And I I was explaining to him what I'd been doing and that I'd gone to the doctor. He goes, you keep doing what you're doing. I'll see you in January. So now I don't have to see him for another six months, which you have no idea what a relief that is. Excellent. Seriously. Good for you, man. Finally, um, I got another job, not a full-time gig. This is a part-time job, two days a week at a very tiny architecture firm. It's just myself and the principal. But it's a good reentry because it's quiet, it's calm. There's no great pressure. Uh, You know, it's ironically two blocks away from the job that I left in February. Not, Not the one that I left in March, the one that made me ill but the one that I'd had for two years previously, you know? Yeah. Um, So I'm in the same neighborhood and it's really nice. And downstairs, very conveniently is a place that does great smoothies. So that's, you know, Tuesdays and Thursdays, instead of getting lunch and paying an arm and a leg, because it's, yeah, they're not cheap. (laughs) Right. Smoothies aren't cheap either, but sandwiches, just to give you a quick uh, cost comparison, yesterday was my cheat day. And um, I did pick up a sandwich, you know, I, I, I was you know, I was in I felt the need for a good old fashioned roast beef hero. There is this wonderful um, small deli located right across from my my uh, primary care doctor, actually. And you get this when I tell you it's like the, the, the old fashioned kind of sandwich, you know, a lot of fresh roast beef, a fair amount of cheese. I just like with mayo and pepper on it on a hero. It was $10 and 25 cents. You buy that. You try to buy that in the city. If you're lucky, you might pay 15, 17, $20. Right. Because of the fact that, you know, it's city prices and they're not going to give you nearly as much, especially with the freshness of it. So in any event, so I have this new job and I started it this past week. So things are slowly but surely looking up. And, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to share positives for once because it's been such a frustrating time. And, you know, I, I, I've, I've seen a lot of friends and family members go through some very seriously heavy things in the last few months and you feel for them. But at the same time, you do have to concentrate on the immediate necessities. And that is my health was the question mark. So having some quote sense of improved health, it's a good feeling at 58, you know? Yeah, I was just
0: about to say, yeah, I mean, yeah. How about the fact that at our age, you can still bounce back? You know, we still have the ability to to improve things, to improve our own health.
1: John, I kid you not, when I saw my, my PSA blood test results, I actually woke my wife up to tell her this because I was so, I was shocked and, and thrilled and excited by it. But as I said to you, you know, cause John, you know, folks, if you're listening John and I actually talked to one another aside from the show, right. And When we were talking earlier this week, I mean, it, it's one of those moments where we're talking, you know, comparing notes. And I, and I think what I said was, uh, do you ever stop to think at this age these are the kind of conversations we'd be having we're not talking about cars and cars and girls and guitars and and you know sports no we're talking about our blood pressure and and you know prostate exams and, and <laughs> between your
0: prostate exam and my colonoscopy, yeah, we, we get the whole yeah. Thing but you knocked.
1: know what, colono- remember I did the colonoscopy three years ago, and we talked about it. On yep. the sh- I think we talked about it on the show. And you just did yours, and we're doing what we're supposed to do. Yeah. Although, I- as I told you, I found it a little off-putting that I got a, a reminder from my doctor for a colonoscopy. Uh, I only had it in twenty twenty. It's only 2023. I'm not due until I'm 60. Don't be in such a rush.
0: Yeah, same here, by the way. And and that was the good news that came out of mine is that they said we'll see you in seven years when you're 60. And I was like, all right, sounds good. And I will remember the bad taste of that colonoscopy prep until then. But that's okay. <laughs> so, I'll tell dude, you what, got I've got known
1: people who went to, went through the colonoscopy process and the prep with the the old fashioned method. It was like uh, four bottles of Gatorade, uh-huh. uh huh, a thing of Metamucil. Yep. Um a whole bunch of water and I forgot what Miralax else. is what they tell you now because Miralax, it, it, okay. yeah,
0: it's not it's not uh, fiber based.
1: Got it, got it, got it. Um but then when I went it was this prescribed stuff that I had to get at the uh the what do you call it? The uh the, the pharmacy. yeah, me too. And it was quote cranberry flavored i mean it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't awful but it wasn't good no mine you know?
0: mine purported to be lemon flavored and that's a load of crap it was ocean no flavored yeah right exactly yeah it was it was about ocean flavored i think so okay so yeah.
1: let me see if i remember the process so you drink this shit no uh-huh. pun intended again um every early in the 15 morning. minutes yeah oh wait Really?
0: Yeah, mine was it was every 15 minutes for three hours the night before, because mine you're supposed to Here's a little pro tip for you guys. Uh, If you get a colonoscopy done and I urge you to do that, schedule it for as early in the morning as you can. Yeah, because you're going to want to eat something. And mine, unfortunately, they they could only get me in at like one thirty in the afternoon. So I had to do the, the prep for three. I had to do three quarters of it over the course of three hours the night before. And then wake up early the morning of and do the last quarter over the well, see, course they, of an hour. It was different oh, with mine.
1: mine was scheduled for Monday morning at eight, Sunday morning at like, you know, it was basically a two 12 hour shift. Okay. Yeah. Get up at eight o'clock or, you know, go out at eight o'clock, drink the stuff down and that's it, you know? the first bottle, there's two bottles. The first, you drink the first bottle down in its entirety. And then you just spend the day drinking water and doing, you know what? <laughs> and then 12 hours later, you drink the last bottle and then you go and do, you know what, until it's time to go to sleep, get up in the morning, finish off doing, you know what,
0: and i get in the car
1: service and then go out and have this thing done to which that remember, I, I remember that the whole thing on the show is that I, I was making jokes about, you know, having never been a, a nest, um, never having anesthesia before and it being the best nap I ever had in my life. Cause they had to wake me up of, out of a very comfortable and sound sleep. And they're like, you're done. I'm like, no, I want to go back to sleep. <laughs> and the thing was, I was hungry, but I didn't have any kind of after effects. I wasn't wobbly. I wasn't no, lightheaded either. or any of that. I just had the headache and I needed caffeine. And within five minutes of calling for the car service, I mean, they they picked us up at ten o'clock. It was done within two hours. They picked us up at ten, and I was home by ten thirty, making coffee and having a chocolate chip muffin to, to finally replenish what I needed desperately. Yeah, that's right. Well, what?
0: I went I went straight to Arby's because I figured, okay, if this is my colon's fault, I'm going to punish it. So <laughs> so I decided to do the the Arby's sandwich thing, and then yeah, uh, made it but, home but from for, there.
1: But but you didn't you didn't have breakfast?
0: No, no, couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't eat anything the morning of, so I was no.
1: But I mean, you didn't go and start it with a breakfast. Oh. Oh,
0: no, because it was already, I mean, by the time I got out and got two Arby's, it was almost three. So I can't
1: do that. I have to have the coffee. I need that <laughs> yeah. coffee. That's, you know, IHOP is also always a good, you know, when all else fails. That's true. I hop is a fallback for any any time of day.
0: You get them blinces. You get them blinces rolling, and everything is okay. Uh, I have to tell you, I, it, away from our health for just a minute, because I did something yesterday that was—it turned out fantastic. Because we've talked about this before. Whenever you're dealing with somebody who is noteworthy or famous in any stripe. You never like for the first time, you never exactly know how it's going to go because some people are jerks. And, and, you know, celebrities are not jerks, I've found, at any greater rate than normal. But they're certainly, you know, it it, it tracks with the rest of the population. So uh, there was a horror movie convention in town this weekend. And I figured I'm going to go to this thing. And by the way, they've got some pretty cool people on the roster. So I'll see if I can get one of them on the radio show on Friday before the whole thing starts out. And we'll see who's available and who they can get for me. And the way that works is normally you send them a list. You say, OK, here's my top five. You get me any one of these and we'll be good. And, you know, we'll get them on the air for 15 minutes and we'll promote the, the convention. And we'll, you know, just kind of have fun with one of these people. So uh, PJ Souls was one of the ones from Stripes, of course, and Rock and Roll High School with the Ramones. And Carrie. And Carrie and uh, Halloween and, she was and, in.
1: And former Mrs. Uh, Dennis Quaid. Uh, that's right. And, uh, and
0: by the way, she has not aged a day. <laughs> She's adorable. Her, she wears her hair the same way. She looks fantastic. So she was one of the ones that I put in for. She was unavailable. But what we ended up with And I say ended up with he was one of the ones that I really, really wanted anyway, was uh, Dean Cameron, who was uh, in the movie Summer School with Mark Harmon. He was Chainsaw. He was the guy who was the horror movie fan in that movie and one of the main drivers. And I always I've seen him in a couple of other things since then and and always dug his performances. So uh, we ended up with him. And had a great conversation on the air. And I said, hey, you know, off the air after the interview, I said, hey, by the way, I'm coming down this weekend. I'll see if, you know, I can, I'll stop by the booth or whatever and say hi. So I did. And uh, uh, and you know, talk to him for a little while. The way those things work is if you've never been to one is they have this big wide open floor in like a ballroom, it's like a hotel ballroom and they set it up with vendor booths and things like that. And then there are discussions and there's a film festival that's involved in it. If you want to do that. Um, and you know, and you have the opportunity to go up to the booths and for you know, 20 bucks or 30 bucks or 40 bucks or whatever, they'll sign an autograph picture for you. You get a selfie with them and all of that. But when I got there on Saturday, what everybody had told me was that Friday night was crazy. And that Saturday it was kind of up and down. It, you know, they'd get a rush, and then it would, you know, give them a little breather for a while. Which a lot of them told me we prefer it that way because it's not just insane the whole time. We like to have a little bit of a break in between. So I had the opportunity to talk to him a little bit just between the two of us, and did that. And then just some people started to come up, so I was like, "All right, I'll catch you later. You know, if you're if you're around later on, I'll buy you beer." So as I was about three or four hours later, as I was kind of winding down my own, you know, tolerance for this stuff, because there were people in costume, and and it was great fun. But, uh, you know, the, it, it a lot of it was geared toward the, the horror movies of the last 10 years. Which is not really my thing. My thing is horror movies
1: from when I was 17. When so, they're actually horror movies, when you could actually cut somebody's throat and watch the, <laughs> you know, the blood and, and you know Exactly. Friday the
0: thirteenth, Halloween, Christine. I mean, all of these you know, these wonderful movies that we grew up on. And there wasn't that much geared toward that. So I was getting ready to go, and there was a big thing going on out in the in the lobby. They were doing a costume contest or something. And I'm walking through and I see Dean Cameron walking across the room. So I followed him and sure enough, he went right over to the bar. And I said, I caught up to him and I said, tell me you didn't order yet. And he said, no, I didn't order yet. I was like, I got you. What do you want? And he told me and I went and got it for him. And we stood there, you know, just kind of away from the crowd for a minute and just talked over a couple of drinks and had an absolute blast. He's a wonderful guy as I was kind of hoping he would be but you never know. And I got to talk to him about, you know, he was asking me questions about the radio business and I'm asking him questions like, how does a kid from Norman, Oklahoma end up in movies? So it turns out when he was, when he decided I'm going to go make a run at this, He ended up doing the Hollywood thing where everybody just finds an actor and they all crash in their apartment, you know, until somebody gets work. And whoever got work that week buys all the food, you know, all that stuff. So he's living with people like Eric Stoltz, you know, and and all these other actors who are around the same age when they were 16, 17, 18, 19 years old, trying to make a go of it in the movie business. And most of them ended up doing it, which is pretty amazing when you consider that it's such a tough industry. Uh, I think a lot of that has to do with the timing of it as well. The fact that it was, you know, the early 80s and there was so much going on and there were still, you you talk about when they were still horror movies, there were still real, true, independent films back then. So you could get work. And it was it was just one of those moments. And, and yeah, you know, I saw PJ Souls and she you know, complimented the shirt I was wearing and we you know, got a picture taken with her and all that. But just that couple of minutes of having that conversation with a dude that that I remember seeing on the big screen when I was a kid going, man, that looks like fun.
1: It was did great. You, did you offer her the uh, Aunt Jemima treatment?
0: <laughs> I was probably the 50th person to see her that day. And I'm sure the other 49 all did. So I, I abstained.
1: OK, courteously. courteous. <laughs>
0: <Yeah. laughs> uh, but, you know, she's another one. She has a lot of fun. With her place in it, I always wonder when when you're on that circuit when uh and I've got friends who do that, too, you know, who have been in TV and movies and stuff that, that do the convention circuit or the sci fi circuit or whatever. And I always wonder, OK, what is that scene really like? You sit at a table for eight hours signing autographs and a- answering the same dumb questions 50 times. And I mean, does it wear on you? And you could tell there were a couple that it sort of it had gotten to that point, but the ones that I liked, the ones that I actually had interest in talking to, they were still all about it. They were like, you know what? This pays the bills. This pays the rent. Right. And and so you know, it's like when you talk to somebody who uh, is out on the concert circuit, and you say, okay, sometimes you're playing to three thousand people, sometimes you're playing to ten people. How do you bring that same energy when there's only 10 people out there? And he says, and, and they all say the same thing. Those people bought a ticket. I don't owe them any less show than I owe the 3000 exactly. person audience. So wish- Yeah.
1: I always remembered something the late Jim Ellison of Material Issues said, you know, whether it's 10 people or, or you know, 50,000 people, you always have to go out there and, quote, rock it like it's the Enormo Dome. <laughs> yes,
0: right. Exactly. Rock it like it's was, the end of the
1: world. Sure. You know, it, it's a really poignant thing to say because, yeah, people people pay to see you, whatever forum that you're in, and it's your responsibility. It's also your job. You got paid to do it. you yep. do your job. You know, but there are some who just think, you know, they they go obligatorily, but yet they don't, they don't, they're not there. You know what I mean? They're not engaged. I, I told you, you know, it was 29 years ago. I saw Nick Hayward on his first American tour since the days of, of haircut 100. And it was the most bitter cold night of the year. It was February, 1994. I took my then 15 year old cousin with me. Uh, cause she was a huge haircut 100 fan and there were maybe, maybe 125, 200 people in, uh, Irving Plaza and, A good portion of them, I'm sure, left after the opening act, which was this terrible, terrible Canadian group that that they were trying to hype through what would later become my alma mater, Atlantic Records, this terribly pretentious group. But then he came out and you could see you could see that he gave it his all. You could feel it. It didn't matter that it was just a, a really. It made the the room very small and very intimate. But he played his heart and soul out. And the same thing can be said about Lloyd Cole, who did a four-week residency at Maxwell's. It was just him and an acoustic guitar. And the first night, there was 10 people. Three of them were us, you know, um, because it was during this deep freeze. And he put everything into it. And then he got to a point he was like, are you sure you still want to hear anything? And he said, is there anything you want to hear in particular? And so we would just shout songs out to him, you know, and it made it even greater and more powerful. So, you know, when, when you meet somebody at one of these conventions and you see them, when you see that kind of light in their eyes as well, you know that they're definitely still part of it. You know, it's like everybody can take a lesson from, you know, commander Taggart, you know, uh, Peter Quincy Taggart of the uh, the the um, what is it the NSA protector Yeah, right. played by the remarkable Jason Nesmith, of course. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's that's what it's all about is it's like, OK,
0: you you do what you do because you love it. And this is part of what you do. So you have to love this, too. You know, I think you owe it. Um, and, and most of the people that were there, I was happy to say, were in that realm. If they didn't love it, it didn't show, and that's just as good. So, yeah, it was a blast. Um, I don't go to those things all the time. I've probably been to yeah, maybe a dozen in my life, but they're, you know, they're fun for what they are. And it was a good time. So, you know, just to kind of have that moment. It was the icing on the cake, as it were.
1: Well, you know, now that we've you, you've been talking about movies, I think it's a good segue because as of late, I have seen, well there are three movies I want to talk about. Two of them were documentaries, and the third one I need to ask you if you have seen clerks three yet. (laughs) I have not. Okay. Because I want to talk about it. Um, But I don't want to spoil it for you unless you already know the the story or the plot.
0: I I don't know a thing about it yet. So, I mean, uh, why don't we do it on the next one for sure? and, And I'll make sure that I've seen it by the time we do.
1: Okay, that's that's fair enough. So then let's talk about the two documentaries that I saw. I, there's a third one that I still have to see, uh, which is the new newly released documentary that was done, uh, aided and abetted by Andrew Ridgley uh, about Wham.
0: I've heard uh, such good things about. this.
1: So have I. And and the the most the nicest takeaway so far, and I have like I said, I've yet to see it, is the fact that everyone who has seen it has said the same thing. Boy. I owe him an apology and greater respect to him than I've ever thought I could possibly have. Wow. So that's a really – that's a good – that's kind of a good way to go into this, you know, because I have to admit, you know, Wham's songs, as you think about the context of the time, as disposable as they were and frivolous as they were, they had a really great charm about them and they were incredibly well-written and they stayed with you. Okay. You know? Pure and simple. I mean, granted, "Wake Me Up Before You Go Go" is possibly one of the most one of the top five most irritating songs <laughs> of all time. But it put them on the map, though. It, it stateside, definitely. They were already big in England, but the the other songs that have greater lasting power and and greater greater skill, if you will, of execution, like "Freedom," like "Careless Whisper." Hell, even like Young Guns Go For It or um, The Edge of Heaven, all of those songs de- or Everything She Wants, all of those songs definitely overshadow the the, the, the vapidness of Wake Me Up Before You Go. Yeah. But nevertheless, I do want to see this particular documentary. The two that I watched were, were both on HBO. One was about Donna Summer and the other was about Mary Tyler Moore two women who I absolutely adored slash was madly in love with. I felt the Donna Summer documentary was, I hate to say it poorly executed. That's tragic. It is because first of all, you have this incredibly gorgeous, dynamic, talented woman, and there was so much more they could have done with it. And it's just so uneven. It's like one of those bad patchwork quote documentaries of home movies with a little, you know, a a piece of recorded soundbite or interview done with her. So you're hearing it told in sort of her voice. It just, it left me flat. You know, it didn't, it didn't really show her. There's so, there's so many words I could use for her because I was a big fan in a time when it wasn't cool to like disco, but it was Donna Summer for Christ's sake. You know, but the fact that she had such a great run And it's so, it's not linear. And I hate that. When you do a documentary, you're telling a historic story. You have to do it in a timeline. And it didn't, it did not come off that way. So it was, uh, again, very disappointing. Left me flat. Whereas the Mary Tyler Moore documentary was perfectly sewn together because it carried you from her childhood all the way through to her death. You know, taken from from interviews with her over the years, of which there were plenty uh, interviews with, uh, you know, people like Dick Van Dyke and and friends of hers and, and so on, even, even her, her husband, you know, um, it was really well done. And you got a glimpse of a woman who kind of almost seemed very private, you know, but it, it's an interesting fact that she was so private when she was such a public figure for such a long time, you know, And she went through hell, you know, in her lifetime. She had a mother who was an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. She wound up developing a drinking problem and and diabetes. And her son accidentally shot himself to death. Her only child, you know, she had a lifetime of tragedy, you know, and she managed to make the best out of it, you know. And she was a very talented, very gifted woman who, you know, they always they always like to look at her as that, you know, that that spunky girl from the the, the TV show in the seventies. Right. She was so much more than that. She oh, really was. Yeah. I mean,
0: first of all, incredibly intelligent. Second of all, uh, incredibly single minded when it came to making her career. And that's something that at that, at that point, unless you were Lucille ball, you didn't get to do that. If you were a woman and she came along and said, the hell I don't. So, I mean, what she accomplished is even more amazing when you put it in the context of the time at which she came along to do it. So, yeah, I mean, no dummy is going to be capable of something like that.
1: No, no, not at all. So, um, yeah. So what we'll do is, like I said, now you're on the clock. And you, you <laughs> will have
0: to watch. I'll watch it tonight. Clerks 3. Now, mm-hmm. in the meantime, I have a, a documentary to, to kind of tell you about as well, because I ran into this one. <laughs> uh, I have a tendency to if sometimes I'll just I'll put on YouTube to go to sleep, um, you know, because I've, I've got the app on the TV. So I'll put up, you know, YouTube and I'll put on some ASMR or something like that and just kind of drift off to sleep. And I did that the other day. The thing is, though, when it starts scrolling through videos while you're sleeping, you never know where it's going to end up. So I woke up and it was playing a, a video for a song. I don't even remember what it was, but it was something out of the 80s. And then it went right from that into a documentary about Buffalo Springfield. Now, I have always been. A huge fan from the very first time that I ever heard for what it's worth. I was like, I don't care who these guys are. I'm going to learn everything about them and listen to everything they've ever done. So I did and and followed them all you know, through the, the iterations of Poco and Crosby, Sills, Nash & Young and, and Loggins and Messina and all of the bands that they turned into and loved all of that stuff. So this this documentary starts and I'm thinking, wow, a do- I didn't even know there was a documentary. I knew Echo in the Canyon about the whole Laurel Canyon scene, but I didn't know there was one specifically about the Springfield. So I'm watching it. And the first thing that strikes me is none of their music is in it. And I know I mean, if you're making a documentary, you've got to cut corners. They They're not the most lucrative things in the entire world. But if you're going to do a documentary about a band, you need to spend the money to put some of their music in it. And it just wasn't there. They also interviewed a whole lot of people who knew them, but none of the actual members of the band. Now, that's not to say I didn't enjoy it because I did. And I actually learned a lot that I didn't know about watching this thing. And it was clearly a labor of love for the guy who did it. His name, forgive me, escapes me right now. But they went to a lot of the places where the Springfield played in the early days. They also went to a house that at the time was a like a, a seedy rundown motel where they wrote a lot of the early stuff for the first album, which, by the way, when it was initially released, didn't, didn't include. I have. Nowadays, Clancy was not worth. on it. Yeah, and for what it's worth, it didn't come until the second album. But yeah, nowadays, Clancy wasn't on there when they first released it and it was poorly produced and awful and the band hated the way it came out. So they, they went in and redid most of the songs added nowadays Clancy and and it became Buffalo Springfield. So uh, they, you know, he went to the parking lot where the, where the bulldozer was that had the, you know, the Buffalo Springfield logo on it. And that's where the band name came from. And so, and, and went to a lot of the historic spots and went through the fact that Stills and Nash had played together someplace in Canada, and had met long before they were in a band together. And always Stills it, it, and Young. It, it, yes, uh, yes, Steve. Right. Yes, Steve Stills and, and Neil Young. Sorry, uh, they, they had they had been they had played a gig in Canada. Their their respective bands performed on the same bill. And they both kind of got it in their minds at that point that they would like to form band together, but it just, you know, they kind of lost touch. And in those days, it wasn't easy to stay in touch. So here you have uh, Neil Young living in Canada, Stephen Stills living on the West Coast. And uh, Young actually made it a point to go all the way (laughs) across the country and into Southern California looking for Stephen Stills and was driving down... They go through the name of the street. It wasn't like Hollywood. Actually, it might have been Hollywood Boulevard. But was driving down the street in that hearse with the Ontario tag on it, and Stills at all happened to be in a car going the other way. Saw that car, knew it was him. Did a U turn, chased him down, and that's where Neil Young ended up joining Buffalo Springfield. It was a it was a cool look. They also went through the bust that kind of ended the band and almost got Eric Clapton deported uh, <laughs> while while Steve still snuck out the back with Richie Fure. But, you know, it was like little moments and it was some great storytelling. But it it did suffer for not having any of their music to play underneath it. It was just production music, which is real cheap. Um, and it, it would have been nice for them to catch up with at least one or two of the members of that band. And I know... From my own experience, they're not that hard to get in touch with, but that may have been a money thing as well. They would probably want to get paid fairly well for something like that. And they just didn't have the money to do it.
1: Well, I think you and I discussed this once before when, when I had seen that documentary on the replacements Yes, and the fact that, you know, they talked to everybody who knew the band and they showed lots (laughs) of pictures, but there was, uh, you know, very little of the music and none of the band members, Right. you know, it just, it it makes no sense to me. It's, it's kind of an insult to, you could read a good you know, Rolling Stone article and get the same thing out of it. Right. What's the, but, but I am curious, what is the name of this documentary? Um,
0: You know, I was just trying to look that up. Oh uh, uh, yeah. While we were talking, I was looking it up. Uh, yeah. It's uh, I believe this is the right one. It's called Buffalo Springfield story, the rise and fall and aftermath.
1: Rise. Fall and after- okay. Well, I'll look for it. I mean, I, you know, like you, uh, I'm a big fan of all of those bands, especially the ones that brought together the likes of Crosby, Stills, Nash, Young, Gifted and Black and so on and so forth. But, <laughs> you know, um, what was it? What was the
0: Carlin line? Crosby, Stills, Nash, Young, Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Sago, and Vanzetti.
1: Right. That, well, that was that was what's his name? That was uh, Robin Williams. Right. From uh, reality. What a concept. Right. That was
0: it. Uh, uh, it was Carlin from FMAM.
1: Oh, OK. I knew it was one of them. But same difference. <laughs> yes. look, I, you know, I'm 58 years old. I don't remember every single thing. Who are you? Yeah. Right. I, 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 for, uh, I forgot. Mommy, my I got to go answer but, the cake, but here's you know? the
0: crazy part about that is that, yes, as much as my memory does fade about things like, you know, things like what I had for breakfast, what day it is, who you are. I can still remember the end of that joke, which was that their their new hit song was the ever present footprints cross the shadows of the carpets of the hallways of the memories of your mind. <laughs>
1: is that off of wonderful wife from the wonderful wino sketch
0: yeah it's it's adjacent to it the same album yeah it's it's
1: like scott lane right yes scott lane gang (laughs) um but the thing about the 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 buffalo springfield question in this documentary is there actual footage of them performing live because no because they they couldn't do the music i mean jesus there's so little footage of them to begin with on youtube it's always the same thing it's all mimed Uh, performances. I think there may be one and maybe two of the actual band that, you know, the, the quote real lineup with, with Bruce Palmer playing bass before all the problems that beset him and the band and being deported to Canada. And then, you know, Jimmy Messina coming in and so on and so forth, you know, because there's like an appearance where I think it's Dean Martin's Hollywood palace or something where they're miming Half of for what it's worth with a really bad edit into Mr. Soul. And there's a cardboard cutout sort of seated to look like he's playing bass. Okay, yeah. Things like that. Um, It's just kind of hard because you hear all these stories in the mythology of what a great live band they were. It's like, where is it? Yeah, yeah I, I would love to that. see some
0: of that. And and you figure with all the time they spent and with as much movie film was shot at the whiskey back then, I mean, how much footage is there of the doors at the whiskey, right? So or the birds uh, or the birds or whoever. Yeah. And, and so Buffalo Springfield's there as almost the house band for better part of a year. And there's nothing,
1: you know, it's like we, at least, you know, that you, you can hear some quote, live birds footage from of the original lineup with Crosby, you know Crosby McGuinn and so on. Um, certainly at at uh, Monterey, you know, right? But you know, and there's there is live footage of the Hollies while Graham Nash was still in the band, uh, but yet nothing with Buffalo Springfield. Mm-hmm. So I've always found that to be a little off-putting. But um, yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I, I they with the exception of the the. What would have been the second album that was originally called Stampede. It's one of those, quote, great lost albums. And by the way, there's a a wonderful series of uh, albums that never were. I forget the fellow's name. He's got this website and he he basically puts together the original or envisioned versions of albums that were literally at 11th hour release and then withdrawn and redone and rejigged or whatever. And he did – he showed what the cover looked like for Stampede. Um, That would have been the second album. That would have had Mr. Soul and um, I believe Bluebird would have been on that one also. And
0: maybe Broken Arrow
1: and broken arrow, um, that really would have been kind of like Neil Young's breakout album to show, to showcase his talents. But, um, you know, there was problems because Bruce Palmer had been, you know, arrested and sent back to Canada and they were going through ups and downs and fighting and, you know, the, the constant bickering mostly between young and, and stills, ironically. And so it wound up being retooled and kind of flat and It's like the Beach Boys doing Smile and suddenly coming up with Smiley Smile instead, you know? So they just released Buffalo Springfield again. How very (laughs) pedestrian. But ironically enough, my favorite Springfield song probably is still I Am a Child, which is off Last Time Around, which is not even technically a Buffalo Springfield album because at that point they were all – they wanted nothing to do with one another. And it was really just individual tracks by the the contributing members. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, which is kind of a sad statement, but nevertheless, um, I would definitely say, uh, I am a child followed probably by Mr. Soul and Bluebird and then rock and roll woman. If I never hear for what it's worth for the rest of my life, that's one <laughs> of those that, it, you know, The sell by date really that's, you know, it was just,
0: yeah, it was everywhere for so long.
1: Sunshine of your love, you know, 90% of everything by the doors. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, And the thing with, I mean, once, once the Muppets do one of your songs, which they did with, for what it's worth, (laughs) you know, at that point it's like, okay, the song is officially now everywhere. I think we can turn it off.
1: I love the fact that, the, if I remember correctly, or a variation of this is that they they called Ahmet Erdogan to a meeting to let him know they were breaking up, which he freaked out because he single-handedly signed the band to Atco, which is Atlantic. Atlantic, yep. And... Um, Still's kind of you know mollified him. He's like, no, hang on though, I'm starting a new band with David Crosby of the Birds, and it looks like we got Graham Nash joining us." And essentially, a sports trade was made because they traded Graham Nash, who had signed with the Hollies to Epic after leaving Imperial in the United States, to Atlantic Records in exchange for Richie Fure, who then took Poco. Poco over to right
0: so (laughs) yeah
1: that's the only time i can actually think of that happening it's 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 a baseball deal you know yep you know you you basically get the the pitcher for the the um the the big bat that you need you know
0: definitely yeah and it worked out well for everybody i mean those bands collectively did some pretty
1: amazing stuff well those first two poco albums are just phenomenal records yep i mean they they really had something but uh and whatever happened to stills and, and and young Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Got, right.
0: uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then they, yeah, they got they got back together in another band, and then they started fighting again. And Young left, and yeah, the rest is history.
1: And then, they, and then Stills had another band and fought with them, and yeah, the guy had a whole bunch of X Y's and fought with them, and you know, <laughs> Steve Stills fights with a lot of people. That's true. Maybe it's him. So I don't know, may I, you know. <sighs> Kind of on the fence about that one. Crosby, you know, kind of, cross could kind of, you know, rub people the wrong way oh, too.
0: He will straight up tell you I'm an asshole. So well, that's
1: true. Yeah. There's no payoff, but I'm an asshole.
0: Exactly. Um, now on the subject of, uh, you know, maybe it's me. This was also the weekend that Taylor Swift was in town. And I, I, at the, at the risk of being the old man who yells at clouds, I, I, I have to say, I, I respect what she has been able to put together. It is so dull. Oh, my God. And, and to have this many people descend on Kansas City. And by the way, I'm fine with that. Come here. Spend your money. Absolutely. You know, 100%. Do it twice. But, I mean, she played it two nights at Arrowhead, sold out. That's at least 85,000 people a night and probably more than that twice sold them both out and uh, you know tickets are selling on the secondary market for like a grand 1500 bucks it was just nuts and and i don't get it and it's funny because uh uh, kind of an acquaintance of mine who is a fan of hers kind of responded to something somebody else had written about taylor swift and said well you got to understand you know her music is It it crosses generations, so you can have a grandmother, a mother, and a daughter who all go there and see this show, and it's safe. And he ended with that word, and I I thought, you know what? That is exactly why it means nothing to me. It's safe. Everything Taylor Swift does, she never ends up in the tabloids, which I I, I don't care about the tabloids either, but I mean, her handlers are so... Bloody image conscious, and every move is scripted, and everything is just down to the letter, perfect. She's never done anything that any grandmother would be upset with, and all the music reflects that. It's so safe and so common, and it just bores me. There's no it's edge to it. It's benign
1: and antiseptic. Yes, and it's, dare I say it's void of soul, and I have zero grievances with her. No, yeah, and she I, I does hate what her. she does very well. My 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 one question is. Can we verify? And I say this in all seriousness: Can we verify that she actually was performing a live set and not, you know, pre-taped? Oh, I don't know. I didn't go. <laughs> I would. I would love to know. So yeah. Because I am always skeptical of these these kind of um, fluffy pop puppets. Ever since you know the Britney Spears in concert thing, where it really wasn't a concert; it was just pre-taped lip-syncing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I really have a great. I take such umbrage with that. Um, I have no beef with, with, with Taylor Swift. I kind of get tired about hearing about her and her boyfriend problems. You know what? Say la vie. It's part of life. But that You'll was get over it.
0: I mean, the thing is, they, you know, they were going through, oh, well, the merch truck is getting here on Wednesday and you can line up at Arrowhead and, and go. You, there were people lined up for hours just to go buy merch. And I thought. Okay, the concert isn't even for two more days, and you're lining up at the merch truck now. The thing is, though, I mean, come on.
1: We've already surpassed that period where music that has meaning will carry on with you for life. Yeah, you know, there's no, and I've said this, I've said this for decades. I've said it to to, to my wife since I've known her, uh, because when we met, it was at the time of the rise, the the first you know bubbling on the surface of Britney Spears and the Backstreet Boys and the whole boy band thing was starting up and you know you gnashed your teeth at it and then later on came American Idol which just ruined everything but my (laughs) grievance with the boy bands and all that sort of stuff you know whether it was Britney Spears or Jennifer Lopez it's like no what this is is this is marketing and manufacturing the music is inconsequential the music is just another element of selling something get my new CD while you get my new line of jeans or my new lipstick line or, or my new shampoo. That's all it is. Taylor Swift is it's not just the fact that we can't relate to it or or anything, but there's nothing there. It's it really is a I'm and again, not a knock, just an observance from somebody who as we have been involved in music for many decades, can say there's nothing there because it's not music of substance. Yeah, if you want music of substance from from a younger person, go listen to Elizabeth cook. She's got a lot to say and she does it really well. And she's a pro, you know, uh, Taylor Swift is how old now she's got to be in her, her early, be th- 30s. early 30s, 31,
0: 32 in there. Somewhere. Right. Elizabeth,
1: yeah. Right. Elizabeth cook is in the same age range and she's, you know, a skilled songwriter singer, you know, just absolutely wonderful. Tell it like it is no funny stuff, you know, and she's, God is she charming as hell. I mean, she's got this wonderful show called Upstream with Elizabeth Cook, where she actually goes fishing, with with you know her guests. I mean, it's it's hilarious and it's great and it's brilliant. But the point is, is that there's somebody with 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 something, you know. Yeah. Uh, Taylor Swift doesn't bring anything to the table that's going to last, and no one's going to be listening. No. I don't know anyone right now who is yearning for the days of seeing the Backstreet Boys. I don't know anybody <laughs> who's you know yearning for the days of hearing those first records by Kelly Clarkson, and I got no beef with her either. I actually like a few songs that she put out because they were catchy. Yeah, um, and she's also she also strikes me as being very genuine and very sweet, and that makes makes her adorable to me. Um, she's also very real. Taylor Swift is. Everything about her – and again, it's not the – I'm talking about the image of Taylor Swift. It's plastic. You know, she is the pretty plastic blonde girl who just really doesn't have anything to – anything of substance. And, you know, it is what it is. And I know that's a very ham-handed thing to say. It's too easy to say that. But, you know, people like us who are adults, we're not going to – you know, at at least – you know, even with with the sense of hindsight, 20 plus years later, 25, I can actually say something like, you know, as much as I despised the whole boy bands moving in, I want it that way as a catchy song. Yeah. You know, oh, it's yeah. a song that's kind of standing the test of time on its own, you know, as did Wham, you know, wake me up before you go go irritating as hell, but. Fuck, you know it's for almost forty years now, and that song still lives with you. Absolutely, you
0: know? yeah, and and you and you still connect it with things. You still connect it with memories. I mean, you ask me about that song, and I'm riding in the back of my friend's Camaro down Memorial Drive in in Tampa. You know, as as a fourteen or thirteen year old. Um, now, on the other side of that, though, there is one thing, and uh, this will be the last thing that I give you for tonight, uh, which is that I was having a conversation with my producer for the radio show. And he asked me if I had heard the new album by a band called Nothing But Thieves, and I hadn't. In fact, I hadn't even heard of the band. But he said, "You need to check these guys out." And even though he's only twenty, I think Colin's twenty three, he has—he's like I used to be. He has tastes that run much older than himself. You know, he listens to stuff that was recorded twenty years before he was born and knows it, and you know, and, and kind of understands it. So uh, if, if he recommends something to me, I'm more often than not going to pay attention. And I've listened to this record. It's great. Um, I don't know how long Nothing But Thieves have been around, but and he was telling me that their previous albums were a little more guitar rock generated, where this one delves heavily into synth pop. But. It's still got a very hard rock edge to it. And um, and and the synth pop that they throw in is uh, what it reminded me of. And the song that I actually sent to him in response saying, "Okay, this it sounds a little bit to me like this was Make Me Over Naughty Holder by A Fragile Tomorrow, which we debuted on the radio (laughs) show. I don't know how many years ago, Uh, but but it has that kind of sound. It's got to be 10 years. So, really that long since yeah, that believe it or not. Yeah, <laughs> wow, but yeah, the Dead Club City is the new one by them, and it's so worth a listen. The third track, which was it ended up being the first one that YouTube played at me, uh, is called Tomorrow is Closed, and it's fantastic. I mean, it grabbed me immediately. And I thought, oh, I know what this is. And then I it got about a minute in and I went, oh, no, I don't. <laughs> you know, and they, they, it changes up and the modulations are very cool. It's very well thought out music, but it's not overthought. It's here's a song. got a great feel to it and uh, yeah I just I can't say enough good about it so if you're looking for something brand new to go check out dead club city by nothing but thieves is an excellent album
1: I'm starting to get inundated in my inbox and you know so and you know'm I'm, I'm kind of going back into the writing because I do have a new piece up on on um music tap the, um you and I talked about it the newest record from uh Django haskins our friend out of North Carolina who uh, he put out those two very introspective, somewhat constrictive and really powerful EPs during um, during the pandemic. And he's just put out a new album. And this one's completely different because he's a guitarist by trade and this is all piano driven. So, you know, that was my my kind of first dipping my toe back in the water. And i Slowly working on a on a review of a a new book about uh, women in ska specifically, written by Heather Augustine, who wrote uh, who's written probably she may be the leading scholar on ska reggae bluebeat because she's written how many books now and every time she finds these details that nobody else does. I mean, she's so God love her. She's such a throwback in the best possible way to actually doing the work that you don't see anymore with writers investigating it, getting the facts, going to the places, you know, getting a feel for being able to tell the story, which is a factual story. It's not a work of fiction, you know? So I'm working on that, but also uh, I am due to receive a copy of Chris Stamey's new album called the great escape, which is kind of ironic that Blur just got back together. And that was their last, really good album. Um, but I'm looking forward to hearing that because I love when Chris does pop stuff. I don't care how many times he's done it and how old we all get. It never gets tired with me because he's a master of pop craftsmanship. So those are all the things that I'm kind of interested in right now, because really I, in this fallow time, since I haven't been going out that much, I don't really listen to that much music, you know? Yeah. The only time I ever listen to anything is when I'm in the car going to the grocery store and and back or you know to and from the gym. And when I'm in the gym, God help me, I listen to, you know, like (laughs) I listen to what they I guess they call it club music or high energy music or, you know, DJ mixes and stuff, because (laughs) it's really good when you're doing cardio. You know,
0: I'll be looking forward to your EDM reviews.
1: (laughs) God have mercy. So there's one more thing we need to talk about, though, before we we wrap up this episode. And that is because I don't know when we're going to do the next show. It is officially going to be 10 years that you and I have been working together, John oh, right. at, the, at the end of July or July 31st, to be exact 2013 was the night that Maxwell's closed. And as we all know that story and infinitum, which I'll tell it again sometime in the near future. For those of you who still haven't heard it, um, Maxwell's closed. There was something that happened on that stage that was so unreal and so unbelievable and beautiful. And it happened and I wrote about it on Popdos, and Mr. Grayson heard about it because he was friends with everybody from Popdos. I didn't know him at the time, and he had told um, you know the head rabbi at, at uh, Popdos, Jeff, that you know he wanted to have me on Overnight America, which, if you don't know, that was a CBS radio show. <laughs> CBS radio does <laughs> Anyway, so. Um, You know, when Jeff said to me, hey, you want to do radio tonight? I'm like, what are you talking about? And he explained to me and we set this up for a Monday night and John called me at home and it was like we'd known each other for a 100 years already. Yeah. Just so familiar right out of the box. And after we were done, he said, you know what? That was a lot of fun. Let's do this again soon. And well, you know, the rest people, because here we are, because we've been (laughs) we've been doing this podcast longer than we actually did uh, Radio City.
0: Yeah, so, crazy as it is. Well, that's awesome. So I, I actually looked it up, and you were right. Uh, F- uh, Fragile Tomorrow was seven years ago, so, so that, uh, it was, it was that, about three years in.
1: I think it was 11 years ago was the first album, being, or the the, the, the one the first album I got of theirs, which was Be Nice, Be Careful. Yeah, okay. That's the one that, that had the goofy video for Kernersville. And then it took a while, and... What was the album that that, uh, Make Me Over came
0: from? Oh, let's see. Be Nice, Be Careful was 2013. Okay, because that was
1: early on in the year. And the album
0: was Make Me Over. Yeah, that one came out in 2015.
1: 2015, okay. Because 2015, we had some really good things like that. We had the Easy TV album finally, which was really, really good. And they disappeared, unfortunately. Yeah. Even though in my famous last words, when I saw them and heard them, I was like, you know, I've seen the future of power pop, and it is easy TV. Okay, I was sort of right because their first album was perfect. Just they faded out after that, but anyway. All right, so you know, so I'm leaving you folks filled with nostalgic goodness since we're talking <laughs> about you know the the last night. I can't believe it's already ten years since Maxwell's closed. How about that? Yeah. And I still have not gone back to Hoboken. I don't blame you. <laughs> was- I. I just don't have a reason to I you know um there's there's nothing there anymore so you know that um, and because it it leaves the memory in the most perfect possible way why soil the memory by going back for what? what what what's in that town now nothing you know nothing for for me that that of merit that will you know there are certain, like you said, you know, there are songs you hear and it, you automatically equate them with a time and a place. And and for me, you know, Maxwell's is equated with a certain time period. And, you know, it was a protracted period. But still, I wish you folks could have really seen what it was like there if you hadn't. And, and it was just really incredible. It was like the last great stand of a place to see and enjoy music that you almost knew intuitively that these people were going to be huge.
0: I will tell you next time we get together about another one of those here in town, here in Kansas City, that's coming back from 1974 until now. It's been sitting there empty or almost empty uh, over a couple of different iterations. But one of those great old concert halls is coming back. So we'll talk about that next time around. Rob Ross, have yourself a wonderful day. Again, congratulations on all the health stuff pointed in the right direction. Way to go. I'm going to see if I can follow in your footsteps, and we'll do one of these again soon.
1: Yes, indeed. And thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Thanks for the support too. I mean, like I said, folks, you don't seem to realize I'm sure that John and I actually talk to each other regularly, but it's just that it's, you know, his, his support has been one of the ones that has helped carry me through because he's the most pragmatic human being I know. So I try not to, you know, go up my own ass with my own madness <laughs> at, at times, but in any event, to all of you as always thank you very much we appreciate you all and uh, thanks for sticking with us and we will talk to you again very very soon take care of yourselves